0: Have a seat. Good morning and happy Advent. Good morning. As we open God's Word, we do. We expect to read and hear good news for us. And so my prayer for myself and for us is that we would receive God's Word with joy. We are two weeks in to Advent, which is a season of looking forward to the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And we're looking at Advent and the Christmas season under this banner, Good News of Great Joy. Specifically today, we're looking at Jesus, the good news of Jesus as our long-awaited Savior. So we're going to be in three texts today. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. And then Luke chapter 2 verses 8 and 11, briefly. Now, as you're as you're finding your way there, um, maybe you think like I do, anytime I read these gospel accounts, and this is tradition in our family, I'm not sure what it is in yours, but as we get to, to Christmas, usually Christmas Eve, my dad would open up his Bible to Luke chapter 2, and we'd read the account of the angels proclaiming, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy to these shepherds out in a dark field somewhere they were the first ones to get this message of their savior has come and as you continue to read through the gospel accounts i I can't help but ask myself if the people who heard what we what we hear here if we if they saw the things that that jesus did and said as they watched him as he grew and as he did his ministry if they if they actually saw and heard and experienced Him, how, how is it possible that so many missed Jesus? How come so many just outright rejected His offer of salvation? See, I think in part, at least in part, they weren't looking for a Savior because they didn't think they needed one. Now, maybe they thought, At the time, they needed saving, salvation from Roman oppression, which was happening in the day. But they didn't need a Savior from sin, which is what Jesus came to offer. But this good news for us, that the long-awaited Savior has come. For us, it's a call to believe. It's a call to faith here and now, and not only here and now, it points us to a glorious and hopeful future. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's a framework as we look at these three texts. So if you would, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. It'll be on the screen as well. A few verses from Genesis 3, chapter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Turn now to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 68. Actually, I'll start in verse 67, although 68 is on the screen. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying this, verse 68 and on. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Finally, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. The good news of great joy for us today is that Christ is our Savior. Simple. The incarnation, Jesus coming to us, is calling us to faith. And it leads us into a glorious future. That's the framework for today. So I'd like to talk a little bit about salvation and what does it mean that Jesus is a long-awaited Savior as we look at these texts. What is salvation? What are we saved from? What are we being saved to? And why is this good news for us? Let's look back again at Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment. In Genesis 3, we read about the fall of humanity into sin and rebellion. Satan... Our great enemy, disguised as a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve to question God's commands. Disbelief gave way to disobedience, and their sin brought with them a curse on all creation. And when God Himself called Adam and Eve out for their sin, they passed the blame. Leading up to this passage here earlier in in chapter 3, as Adam and Eve take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that the Lord said, you can eat of any tree except for this one. They do, and God confronts them. Where are you, Adam? And when the Lord says, Adam, what have you done? know what Adam's response is? Well, this woman you gave me, I kid you not, the woman you gave me, gave me the fruit. I don't know what her problem is. So the Lord God turns to Eve and says, "Okay Eve, what have you done?" And Eve says, "Well, this this serpent, he he convinced me it wasn't a big deal." Right? They pass the blame. Surely it can't be their fault. Adam's like, "No, no. Hey, you gave her to me, God. I I don't know. Well, I, I don't know, God, you you made this this serpent. It's not my not my problem." And that's what we read here. And from verse 14, um, with the curse of the serpent, you see this unfolding of the curse of sin that kind of spreads out across all creation. And then look at verse 15. Specifically, the Lord God is speaking to Satan, our enemy. And he says, I, this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Speaking of Eve between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now there's a couple things happening here. One, God is kind of outlining the extent of this curse. This is going to take a while. This is not an easy fix, a quick fix for humanity. Your offspring, that idea, is imagining generations. This is going to, to spill out for a while. This is not a short period of time. So that's the the first thing. The second thing is this. Look at the pronouns used in verse 15. It's not the offspring of the woman that will bruise your offspring's head. No, no. The offspring of the woman, the Lord God says, will will bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophetic hope of redemption right here in Genesis chapter 3. The offspring of the woman will be the one who will bruise, step on, crush the head of the serpent, the deceiver. So right here, at the moment sin enters creation, God makes known a plan for redemption. Right here. I mean, we're only three chapters into human history from a human perspective, from our perspective. And it's all gone wrong. I mean, just look at the difference here. And I'm including the table of contents and this little hard page at the front that keeps the pages from getting bent. We're this far in to this part of recorded history. Plus, we have history that's gone on past what's written here, where we live, over here, right? We're this far in, and we've already screwed it up. God could have said, Well, that didn't go well, let's start again. But He didn't. He purposed in this moment, and depending on how, we, how you understand this theologically, how we understand it, River City, from time immemorial, had purposed redemption. And here we see the language of it. He could have just wiped the slate clean, but he didn't. Right here he's saying, I have prepared for you a head crusher. One who will crush the head of your enemies. One who will redeem you. You're going to have to wait, but he's coming. Right away, right away it is clear that a Savior is needed. And right away the Lord shows mercy because a Savior is promised. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. We'll see how it relates a little bit to Genesis chapter 3. Listen to the words here. Zechariah is is the we spoke about him last week. He's the father of John the Baptist. John is the one who's preparing the way for the Messiah, kind of the last in a long line of prophets declaring the kingdom of God is coming. And Zechariah, if you read earlier in Luke chapter 1, was met by an angel and was told you and your wife will conceive and you will have a son. And we learn in Luke 1 that Zechariah doesn't believe him at first, this angel. He's like, I'm old, God. My wife is old. We are childless. How is this going to happen? And as a reminder of the power of God, uh, Zechariah was rendered unable to speak until John was born. And when John is born, this is what spills out of Zechariah's mouth. Bursts out of his mouth is this prophetic word about John. Look at the words here. Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's worship language, by the way. This is a prophetic worship song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Here's why. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He has come near. He has raised up a horn of salvation. This idea of a a trumpet blast, a warrior cry, a victory blast of the trumpet. He is fulfilling what He spoke by the prophets, that verse 71, we should be saved from our enemies, echoing Psalm 106, that He would show mercy that was promised to Abraham is now being given to us. We are finally partaking of the promised mercy of God that He established in His covenant with our first father, Abraham. That, that covenant relationship is now being given to us. Here we read about it in Micah chapter 7. And then he says, verse 74, he repeats that idea. We've been delivered from the hands of our enemies. See, this is salvation language. This is redemption language. This is power language. John's job as the forerunner is preparing the way for the incarnation, the embodiment, in the flesh. We use the word Emmanuel. We sing about it at Christmas, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He has visited us. And Zechariah is celebrating that God has come near to his people. He has not left them far away. He has not abandoned them. He has entered into their world and their mess, just like he promised. And his purpose in coming is to save them. Redeem them. That word redeem, is a, redemption is a great word. It means to, to get back what has been lost, to fix what was broken, right? And this is like a, a blast into human history. Salvation has come. He has come to save his people from their sin and from their enemies. Look at verse 40, uh, 76. And you, child, this is Zechariah speaking of John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. There's that word salvation. So, to help them understand that salvation is coming in the forgiveness of their sins. What they're being saved from is the curse that has fallen upon them from the beginning, from Genesis 3. What they need to be saved from is their sin. And a Savior is coming and has come who will save you. And then he speaks of a coming sunrise. Look at this. To give light, verse 79, to those who sit in darkness and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus' entrance into the world in the flesh was the initiation. The trigger was pulled. The fuse was now lit. Redemption was was here to save them to grant forgiveness and to lead them forward the problem is many people in jesus day and i think for us as well there's an unwillingness at times and sometimes just an unreadiness to receive jesus as savior and as redeemer now now for for you and for me you might be thinking i, I believe in jesus I, i've trusted in jesus uh, for my eternal salvation I, I, I have confidence that he has rescued me from sin and hell. And so it is good news that Jesus comes as Savior. But even for many of us, sometimes our walk with Jesus doesn't have great joy. And I'm not just talking about a season of hard circumstances that you might be walking through. That's, that's reality. That happens. But underneath what we say we believe, there is no foundation of joy. In our hearts. And often, whether we are just joyless or we are indeed faithless, it's because we don't see what it is we've been saved from, and what we're being saved to. What are we saved from, and what are we being saved to? Two questions I want to ask and hopefully answer from these texts. What are we saved from? What does salvation mean? Remember Genesis chapter 3. We just read it. What are they being saved from? What was that first sin? It was unbelief. Did God really say? That's the question the serpent asked. Did, Did God really say? Now, I'm not talking about legitimate doubts. We all have questions and doubts. If you are convinced that you have explored all of the depths and mystery of God and you have it all figured out, and it's listed out nice on a spreadsheet somewhere. You've convinced. You have it all figured out. Every T crossed, every I dotted. We need to talk because I don't think you're living in reality. Right? There is much confidence and assurance in our faith. Many things I'm grateful over the 40 years of my existence that, that I'm pretty confident in as it relates to who God is and how he's revealed salvation and faith and, and walking with him in this world from his word. There's lots we can have confidence in, but I don't for one second think I have it all figured out perfectly. Like I've got the market. I'm smart enough to have gotten my mind wrapped around the great mystery and majesty of God. There's always mystery. Always. One of my favorite passages is from Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his ways. How inscrutable. How ununderstandable are his judgments. Or un- yes. Inscrutable. Can't even get my brain around that, right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has given to him that he should repay him? For to him and through him, from him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Right? That's not what's happening in Genesis 3. These aren't like legitimate wrestles and doubts because their minds can't comprehend the majesty and sovereignty of God. That's not what's happening in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, they're going, I don't actually believe that God meant what he said when he said, We will surely die. I don't believe that. That God really said meant what He said that we shouldn't eat of this tree. I'm not saying, man, this is hard to understand. There's a lot about how God operates in the world and who He is that I cannot get my brain around. But, when the Spirit-given seed of faith springs forth, springs forth in our hearts, we believe. That's the difference. Unbelief bears the fruit of rebellion. This is what's happening in Genesis 3. Just like the garden. I'm not sure God actually meant it when he said, love my neighbor. So I'm pretty sure I can hate him. At least a little. I'm not sure that God meant what he said about husbands and wives loving each other sacrificially and serving one another in a covenant marriage. So I think I can find other ways to meet my own personal needs. I think what God meant was not give myself up for my wife, not love and serve your husband. What I think God meant was he wants me to be happy. I think that's what he meant. Right? You see where this goes? See, the Savior comes to rescue us from our own unbelief and our own rebellion. Further, as Luke 1 reminds us, we are saved From our enemies, from those outside as well. We are delivered from our bondage. We are kept safe from those who seek to destroy us. 1 Peter 1, Peter's writing to a church in exile. Believers who are scattered because of violent persecution. And you know what he reminds them of? Your enemy, the devil, Peter says, is like a roaring lion. Going around, seeking for someone to devour. This is his job. Job, name, uh, job, uh, name, Satan, job, devour, right? Jesus echoes this in John 10. I, uh, the, the enemy, your enemy, the devil, he has come to you to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life and have it abundantly. This is different. This salvation that we have in Jesus speaks both to our salvation from the sin in our own hearts and salvation, protection, safety, and security from our enemies. So we can't forget in the mix of Christmas songs, whatever your playlist sounds like right now, I know they're not Christmas songs, but but don't forget songs like Nothing But the Blood of Jesus and A Mighty Fortress Is Our God are beautiful and fantastic pictures of what Jesus came to do in saving us from sin and saving us from our enemies. This is what Jesus came to do to save us from these things. But it's not just that. He also came to save us to some things as well. Here's what I mean. We are saved to faith. See, faith is a gift of God, not earned by our works. If I have belief in my heart at all, if you have belief in your heart at all, you have experienced a spiritual miracle. It is a gift. See, we can boast in our own hard work, and in our own efforts, in our own intelligence... Look what I've done. Look what I've figured out. Look how awesome I am. But we cannot boast in something we did not produce. So we are currently redeemed. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We no longer bear the shame and condemnation that our sin deserved. And listen, Zechariah prophesied verse 74 that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, so... We might now, this is present tense, serve Him that has served the Lord God without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him. Salvation wasn't merely to pull us from the pit of sin and hell, although it does, hallelujah. But it also is a salvation to faith, specifically a faith that is working and producing something in those who are saved. In this case, Zachariah is highlighting service to the Lord in holiness and righteousness. Romans tells us that in view of the mercy of God on display in salvation, Romans chapter 11, laying out the, the, the mercy of God on display in Jesus, Verse tw- or chapter 12, Therefore, in view of God's mercy to us, let us offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual service of worship. Where before, you and I were unable to worship God rightly. Now, we bring our whole lives to bear in worship to God. Not just in our singing, but our, our whole lives in how we work, in how we parent, in how we neighbor, in how we disciple, in how we love one another. By faith, this is our offering to the Lord. And, as Zechariah says, this worship is offered without fear. Meaning, we need not fear. Is my offering adequate? Is my work acceptable? Is my worship pleasing? Because by faith, the sacrifice of our lives is hidden. It's buried in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it is holy and righteous. Now, holiness and righteous are really important because God is holy. Holy is perfect. There is not one ounce of sin or wrong in God. Righteousness means perfection, rightness, meaning there is not one dot of wrong. And we are called to live lives of holiness and righteousness. And sometimes we can get a little nervous when we talk about holiness. When we talk about pursuing holiness. When we talk about pursuing a, a life that is righteous. And going after God's call on our lives. That we would be holy as He is holy. But let me just be really clear. Holiness is not opposed to the gospel. We are saved to holiness holiness. Righteousness. In fact, it is God's grace, His merciful rescue of us, His salvation that trains us, equips us for holiness. John MacArthur, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, says it this way: The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That comes from Titus chapter two. MacArthur goes on. He says, "The same grace that saves sinners from the penalty of their sin also instructs them." in holiness. This is what Zachariah celebrated in his prophecy in verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It is good news that we are saved from sin. It is good news that we are saved to faith, to a new identity, to humility and holiness. And it is good news that we are saved to a glorious future. Jesus, our long-awaited Savior, initiated something in the Incarnation that would carry us through all the rest of our days. Zechariah couldn't fully see it. He was already very old. He had to know somewhere in the back of his head, I might not see when this all plays out. I might not get to see the glorious end from the land of the living. But man, as he looked down the quarter of time, he rejoiced in the sunrise that was coming. He believed in the faithful promise of God. Look again at the end of chapter uh, 1, verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Basically, it had been dark for 400 years. That white page that sits in your Bibles between the Old Testament and the New Testament represents about 400 years of prophetic silence. Where there was no prophet in Israel speaking to God's people to encourage them to remain faithful, to call them back to trust the Lord, to remind them of the covenant promises of God. Nothing. It was silent. And now, after a long, dark night of waiting... Here on the horizon, the sun is rising. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah could look forward just a little and see the king is coming. And he saw in the corridor of time a light on the horizon and said, the sun is coming up. What he couldn't see is beyond that was a brighter light. Of Christ's coming again. When he would wipe away every tear from every eye. When death would be no more. When he himself would be the light needed to light up the world. They wouldn't need the sun anymore because they have the lamb. Jesus, the light of the world, was coming into the world to give light to all those who lived in darkness and here at Christmas, yes, we celebrate Jesus coming to us, right? We celebrate the first Advent. But for all of us who believe in Jesus, this speaks of a glorious and beautiful and lord please soon second coming of his, of his glory, in His glory, to establish, uh, finish establishing the kingdom that He brought when He was incarnate with us when He shall return in the clouds, when He shall return with shouts and trumpets and glorious light, and He will defeat His enemies forever, there will be no more death and no more pain and no more grief. There will be no need for a sun because Jesus Himself will radiate brightly. The glory of the risen and reigning Christ will be our light. This Savior leads us into a glorious future. So the question I ask myself and us is, what causes us to to miss this? To not see the salvation of Jesus as good for us? See, sometimes, I, I don't know about you, I forget. I get comfortable in my life and I forget what it is actually that I've been saved from. The whole of selfishness and sin and death that I was happy to live in before faith in Jesus. Maybe God will give us grace to remember the deep pit from which he pulled us or the deep need we have that he has done a miracle to make this dead heart alive. Spirit of God, would you let me not forget that it is only by God's, your grace that I'm not utterly destroyed. That he would answer that prayer for all of us. because when we lose sight of what we're saved from, it's almost impossible to really take hold of what we're saved to. To forget that we are being transformed, that His power is at work in us, that He is not done with us yet, and that He's called us to, to serve Him. He's equipping us, training us to live in this new identity with holiness and righteousness That this gift of faith is producing something in us as we are being conformed, fashioned, remade into the image of Jesus. We put off the old self and we put on the new. Created after the likeness of God in Christ in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians chapter 4. See, when we lose sight of this power of Christ at work within us, it's no wonder that our vision dims. We forget what he saved us from. We forget what He's called us now to and saved us into. And so it's hard. No wonder our vision of what's coming dims. We lose sight of the promise of the future. But we have been given an opportunity in this season to receive again the good news that your Savior has come to you. To save you from your sin. To give you faith that transforms you. And out ahead of you, even though you might not be able to see it, all of this is anchored to a glorious and sure future. See, the anticipation of Christmas isn't just for family or gifts, or in the case of 2020, just hanging on until we can turn the page of December over to 2021, right? It's a longing, a longing for salvation. Spirit of God, would you stir in our hearts a fresh longing for our Savior? Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are so patient. Father, we confess it is easy to get distracted, to forget, to get comfortable, or even in our in the weight of the things we carry, not comfortable, but just kind of burdened. It's too much, and so we lose sight. Would you be gracious to remind us of your rescue of us? Not in shame or in guilt, but in mercy, to remind us what you've pulled us from, that you might receive praise, that we might spill out gratitude for your kindness in saving us. Father, would you give us eyes to see what you've called us to, the promise that is now ours, Christ in us, our hope of glory. And would you strengthen the places that are weak in our hearts and in our bodies. Lift our drooping heads. Strengthen our weak knees that we might look up and see your salvation. Would you encourage our hearts even now as we come to the table. That we are hidden in Christ. That you have displayed your mercy to us and it is available for us now. To encourage us as we come to the table? We pray this in Jesus' name.